Bible, please, and join me in the book of Habakkuk, Habakkuk chapter 3, this, e this morning, beginning at verse 17. We have been preaching a series of messages from the book of Habakkuk, a book that is very relatable to our times. The prophet of God lived in an age of uncertainty, in a time when nations were rising against the nation of Israel. And when it seemed as though God was too quiet for comfort. And we see that although he's enduring those difficulties, he continues a dialogue with God. And the third chapter is a grand finale of that dialogue. And today I want to share with you on the subject of climbing the heights with God. Habakkuk begins this book in the low place, but he ends Climbing the heights with the Lord. And that's God's will for every one of our lives. That we would climb the heights and know his perspective. Habakkuk chapter 3 verse 17. He says, though the fig tree should not blossom and there be no fruit on the vines. Though the yield of the olives should fail and the, fruit, the fields produce no food. Though the flock should be cut off from the fold, and there be no cattle in the stall. Yet I will exalt in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength, and he has made my feet like hind's feet, and he makes me to walk on the high places. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your presence among us this morning. We thank you for the joy of being in your house. I ask now that you would anoint my lips of clay to teach and preach the word of the living God and that you would anoint this congregation that they might hear the word and that it might bear fruit in their lives. We ask this in Jesus' name and everyone said amen. Amen. You may be seated this morning. I want you to keep your Bible open there to the third chapter of Habakkuk. And I want to walk through this chapter with you as we see how to walk the heights with God. I've told you before that every time you and I have a challenge in our life, we have an opportunity to rise or to go down. We have the opportunity to come to the heights or to descend to the, the valley floor. And ultimately, it's a choice. We can choose to be negative or we can choose to be positive. We can choose to walk by fear or by faith. We can choose either to walk by the flesh or to walk by the spirit. Habakkuk has come to a point of great excitement and joy in his dialogue with God. As he has finally come to catch a glimpse of the fact that God is at work in his life. He thought, God, you're being too quiet at a moment when I really need you to speak up. God, you're being inactive at a time when I really need you to show up in my life. And if you've ever had a season like that in your life, or maybe you're going through such a season right now, I want you to stay tuned to what God says and reveals to the prophet this morning. In chapter 3, verse 2, we begin with a prayer. Now, I want you to look at this prayer because it's a good prayer for all seasons, but it is an essential prayer for the time we're living in right now. In verse 2 the prophet says. O Lord. I have heard the report about you. And I fear. He said O Lord revive your work. In the midst of the years. In 
the midst of the years make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. The prophet asked God to do three things. And I want you to write these things down or underline them in your Bible. Because we need to be praying these three things right now. Number one, he says, God, revive your work in the midst of these years. God is a God of fire. The Bible says that he often sent fire upon the altars of the nation of Israel as a sign and symbol of his presence. But sometimes human beings let the fire go out, either by neglect or by uh, a, a sense of distraction. The fire in the human spirit, or the, high, the fire in the spiritual life of the Christian can begin to dwindle. Oftentimes, uh, that is a dangerous place to be, a dangerous place to live, in a place where you do not experience and know the presence of God in your life. America needs revival, uh, just as the prophet speaks of. He says, oh God, revive your work in the midst of these years. America as a nation has been the beneficiary of great revival. Two in particular have marked our history books. Prior to the Declaration of Independence, this, the American continent, the colonies, had descended into moral decay. And they seemed to be headed toward decline. But God raised up men like Jonathan Edwards in the uh, New England colonies to begin to preach. And the fire of God fell upon those colonies and the, uh, the revival that began known as the First Great Awakening, I believe, led ultimately to the American Revolution and the birth of this nation. There was a returning of the hearts of the people toward God. And then God had a people that he could use and he could work with. Several uh, decades passed. Uh, more than 100 years had passed. And then prior to the American Civil War, at a time of great division and great crisis, God raised up a other group of preachers like a man named Charles Finney who was not allowed to preach in the churches of America because he was considered to be too radical. And so Charles Finney went out into the fields and out into the pastures and began to preach. And thousands would gather to him in what they called camp meetings. And God poured out his spirit upon America in the second great awakening. And I believe that that preserved the nation in the darkest hours of the Civil War. And today I stand before you to tell you we need to be praying this prayer again. Oh God, revive thy work in the midst of these years. America needs revival. The Christian shouldn't need revival. You ought to stay alive. Say amen, somebody. But the nation needs revival. The church should be on fire and alive, but the nation around us needs a move of God. And I believe that God... I believe there is still time for God to send a third great awakening to America and give this nation an opportunity to once again know him and serve him with their hearts and with the fullness of faith. The second part of his prayer is, God, reveal your work in the midst of these years. Make known your work. Sometimes we don't understand what God is up to. We don't see the hand of God, and so we have to pray, God, make known your work. In the midst of these years, God, I want to know what you're doing, and I want to be a part of what you're doing in these, in these years in my generation. And then the third part of his prayer is, 
your wrath, remember mercy. It's a healthy thing for every single person to remember that someday they will stand before the judgment bar of God. The Bible says it is appointed unto man once to die, and then comes judgment. Every human life will give an account to God someday for how they lived and what they did with Jesus Christ. And here the prophet understands that wrath is coming toward Israel and toward the nations because of their abandonment of the, of the faith they had in Yahweh. And here again we see the same peril and the same trouble of our times. That if a nation forgets God, it can expect only his wrath. The Bible says that the wrath of God is upon all men because they forsake the truth about God and exchange it for a lie. And he says that they, they suppress the truth they know about God. And he tells them there in the book of Romans that they profess to be wise, but they have become fools. And so the wrath of God is upon all people because of their rejection of the Lord. But this morning we have a prayer, a prayer that I know God will answer because he answered it in the days of Habakkuk. And he'll answer it again if we will pray. God, in your wrath, remember mercy. Remember, O oh God, you are a just God, that you judge sin and you bring the wicked to judgment, but you are also slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness, great in mercy. O oh God, in your wrath, remember mercy. Will you pray these prayers? Will you take this to heart? Will you become responsible for praying for your generation, for your family? Maybe you've lost the fire. Maybe in your spiritual life, you used to worship God with a full and complete devotion. But now there's the coldness that has come into your spiritual life. And I want to encourage you to take this prayer and go before God in heaven and say, God, revive your work in me. I don't want to be a cold Christian, a relic of some past work of God. I want to be alive and on fire for God until Jesus comes. Come on, if that's your prayer, shout amen. Then we come to the next part of the chapter, chapter 3, verse 3 through 6. And now the prophet begins to climb the heights. He begins climbing by remembering what God has done. He said, God comes from Teman, the Holy One from the Mount of Paran. His splendor covers the heavens, and the earth is full of his praise. He begins to reflect uh, in a, a very poetic fashion on the works of God. If you and I want to climb the heights, we have to remember what God has done in our life. Have you forgotten the goodness of God in, the, in your past? Have you allowed yesterday's miracles to be uh, forgotten memories? Or do you keep them alive in your heart so that you can remember that what God did yesterday, he can do again today in your life? He says in verse 4, God brought me light. How many of you remember the day that God brought you light? In the Bible, darkness does not just refer to sitting in a dark room with the lights off or at night when the sun is not shining. But darkness refers to ignorance, especially a particular kind of ignorance, an, an ignorance of God, not having a knowledge of God. The Bible says in the book of Acts that those who walk without God walk in darkness as a blind man groping, trying to find the way. Friend, until you know Jesus, 
you'll only know darkness. You don't have any direction or any sense of purpose in the life without Christ. And the darkness that covers the human heart is so perilous and dangerous, often leading men to ruin, often leading others to depression and suicide. But there is a light that comes into the life of man, the kind of light that gives life. Jesus is the light of the world. He said that he, he is the light of the world and he that walks in him will never walk in the darkness. And today, Jesus wants to come into your life. If Jesus isn't already the Lord of your life, he wants to be the Lord of your life today. He wants to take your darkness and turn it into splendorous light and fill your life with the knowledge of God and with the knowledge of God's purpose for your life. He said his radiance is like the sunlight and his rays flash from his hands and there is uh, hiding in his power. Here he's talking about the radiance and the light of Christ. And friends, uh, this morning you and I can remember that day and we should never forget that day when Christ came into our light. When he took our darkness and made it light, when he took our sin and made an end of it, forgave us and gave us a new life in Christ. And when you remember what Christ has done for you, and you remember how you are now walking with purpose and direction in your life, it ought to bring a sense of relief to you. What if God had not come into your life? Where would we be without Jesus? Where would we be without his mercy and without his grace? Come on, if you can remember that, give him praise in the house of God this morning. Come on, if you're saved and you know it, give him praise. In verse 5, he says, I see God's way. He talks about how God walks and how God moves. He remembers the ways of God and how God made a way in his life. He describes here the footsteps of the Almighty, just as John describes them, as he saw Jesus after, the, uh, after he had ascended into glory. And John saw the Lord, and he said he saw that his eyes were a flame of fire, and his feet were like burning bronze. He saw the glorious figure of the resurrected, ascended and glorified Christ. But what what Habakkuk mentions most is about the fact that he made a way. That his feet walked through the treacherous path and made a way of escape for him. Do you remember how God delivered you? How God brought you out of the way of sin into the way of life? Jesus said there are two ways that a man can choose. One is broad and permissive. Everybody likes that way. There are no rules. And everyone can have his own way, but it is a, a path that leads to death. He says, and many there be that find it. But there's another way, the way that God has made. This way is narrow, and it is a small gate and a narrow path. And he says, few there be that find it. But those who find it find life. Friends, are you on the Broadway this morning? Are you walking free and clear of any uh, conscience? Living your life without any concern for what God would require of you? Or will you today leave the Broadway and come and walk in the way that leads to life? Friend, the pleasures of this life and the pleasures of the Broadway are only for a season. All of them will soon pass and fade into dust. But there is a life that can be had, a better life, 
a greater life. It is the life that is given to those who follow Jesus, who walk in his way. He said, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. He said, I am the door, and he that enters through me shall enter in and go out and find pasture. The story is told of a man and his son who were walking out uh, away from their home out in a snowstorm. And the, the snow became rather heavy. And the father couldn't see his son walking behind him. So he would call out to him every once in a while, are you still there? Finally, the little boy said, yes, dad, I'm fine, as the little boys are prone to do. He said, every place you put your foot, dad, that's where I'm putting mine. That's all God wants you to do, church. Just put your feet where he puts his. And if you will walk in his ways, you will find life and you will find peace for your life. You will know the way of peace in your family and in your home if you'll walk in his way. The psalmist says, I remember. I remember how he made a way for me. I remember how he cleared a path in my wilderness. Do you remember that? Do you remember the way that God delivered you and made a way for you? And let me tell you, friend, God is still a way maker. He is still opening up doors where there are no doors. He is still making a path where there is no path. Somebody ought to give him praise this morning because God will make a way. Tell your neighbor, God will make a way. If you believe that, shout amen. And then in verse 6, he talks about how God moved mountains for him. He said he stood and surveyed the earth. He looked and startled the nations. Yet the perpetual mountains were shattered and the ancient hills collapsed. His way is everlasting. As the prophet is remembering the works of God in his life, he said not only did he bring light into my darkness, and not only did he make a way where there was no way, but he moved the mountains out of my life. He calls them here the uh, ancient hills. These ancient hills refer to the strongholds established by the enemy that exist in the lives of families for generations. I don't know what the ancient hills are in your life. Maybe it's the ancient hills of drug addiction and alcoholism. Maybe it's the ancient hills of abuse and neglect. Maybe it's the ancient hills of, of divorce. I don't know what strongholds have held the generations of your family captive. But I've come to tell you this morning that our God is a chain-shattering God, that he is a yoke-destroying God, that he is a mountain-moving God. Come on, somebody. He is the God that is able to destroy the ancient hills and to make them flat. The Bible says that he makes the valley to rise up and become a plain, and he makes the mountains to come down and become a level field. This is the work of God in your life. Do you have a mountain you can't climb? Do you have a challenge you don't know how to face? Are there difficulties and, and strongholds that have plagued your life? Today, if you'll call on Jesus, you'll discover that he is the one that destroys the power of the enemy and gives you freedom, and freedom indeed. Somebody say amen in the house of God. Zechariah spoke of this mountain. He was referring to Babylon, the same enemy that Habakkuk faced. And he said, who are you, O great mountain? to stand before God's people. Why? Because it's not by might 
nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. You're not going to tunnel through this mountain. You're not going to climb over this mountain. You're just going to lean back on God, and his spirit is going to destroy the yoke and destroy the mountain of impossibility in your life. Somebody ought to put your hands together and thank God for the victory he's already brought into your life. He remembered. Tell your neighbor, remember. Don't be too quick to forget. Have you ever walked into a room in your house and thought to yourself, why am I here? Or maybe you opened the refrigerator and thought, what was I coming for? We can't be too quick to forget what God has done. Because our carnal mind, when it forgets, it panics. It starts to think, well, God can't handle this. And God says to you, I handled it yesterday. And if I could handle your yesterdays, I can handle your todays. Come on, somebody. God is still God. He's still on the throne. You need to say like Habakkuk, the Lord is in his temple. He's in control. He has the last word in my life. I've seen him do it. Devil, you're too late to tell me that God can't. You're too late to tell me that the days of miracles are over. You're too late to tell me that he no longer frees drug addicts. You're too late to tell me that he is not a healer. I've already seen him do it. I've already seen him perform his powerful work in my life. And then in verse 16, we see the prophet continue climbing the heights. He said, I heard and my inward parts trembled. At the sound, my lips quivered. Decay entered my bones, and in my place I trembled because I waited quietly for the distress, for the people to arrive who will invade us. He's shattering under the fear and anxiety of a mighty army coming against the nation of Israel. But he continues climbing the heights. Rather than give way to fear, he leans back into his confidence and trust in God. Friends, when you are surrounded by trouble, by crisis, by trial, don't give way to fear. Give way to faith. Faith is the victory that overcomes the world. Faith is the power of God working in your life to bring about the manifestation of God's promise for you. When he's trembling and he's shattering or shuddering under all of this uh, fear and, and dread that is surrounding him, he looks up and he remembers that he has a God that he can trust. The prophet Jeremiah said, blessed is the man whose trust is the Lord and whose trust is in the Lord. Is your trust in the Lord? I said, is your trust in the Lord? If your trust in the Lord is in the Lord, then you're blessed. Jeremiah said, cursed is the man whose trust is in man and whose confidence is in man. Why? Because man will fail you. But there is a God you can trust. I said, there is a God you can trust. He said, blessed is the man whose trust is the Lord and whose trust is in the Lord. That means that my 
my, that God is not just the one I trust in, but he is the one that I trust on. He is the foundation of my hope and my confidence. I will not be shaken. He is the immovable foundation below, below, beneath the feet of the believer, and he is also the one we trust in. And so Jeremiah says, this man that's blessed because he trusts in God, he will be like a tree planted next to a stream of water. His roots go deep into the, into the stream. And he says that this, this person, this man or woman who trusts in God will be like a tree planted by the streams of water. His roots go deep into the ground, and he does not fear when drought comes. And he does not fear bad news. Why? Because he knows whom he has trusted. He knows the God in whom he has believed. Come on. Do you know who you have trusted? Do you know where you have put your confidence this morning? Somebody ought to shout amen. If you know you've trusted in God and that God is the everlasting rock and the unshakable foundation you are blessed and you can smile at the future I said you can smile at the future however uncertain it may be however dark it may look smile at the future because you are a child of God and the best days are still ahead for the child of God and so he says though the fig tree should not blossom and there be no fruit on the vines. Though the yield of the olives should fail. And the fields produce no food. He mentions four things. Six altogether. These four. These first four are the agricultural products of the nation of Israel. He speaks of the fig. The grape. The olive. And the wheat. God's precious promise to his people. Was that he would give them a land flowing. With milk and honey. There are seven products that grow in the nation of Israel. These are four of them. And this is the abundant and a glorious provision of God for his people. But you see, sometimes we can focus so much on the natural provision that we lose sight of the source of our trust. The one on whom we have built our life. And so he keeps climbing higher. And he's finally comes to a place where he says, you know what? Even if there are no figs on the trees this year, even if the land does not produce the fruit uh, of the fig tree and the vines are, are empty with no grapes, even if there's a crop failure in the, in the production of the olive, and there be no wheat to provide bread for the nation Yet I will trust in God. Friends, there has to come a moment where you and I climb high enough that we realize that our peace, our joy, our comfort, our satisfaction does not come from the hand of God, but from knowing the face of God. It does not come from just receiving the blessings of God, but from knowing the one who produces the blessing in our life. Then he says, and if the flocks should fail. And those of you who are ranchers or have a farm and you, uh, you have calves every season, I know how exciting calf season can be. It's a, a fruit of labor and a sign that harvest has come for your, for your ranch. But here's what the prophet says. If all of my cows fail to calve this year, uh-oh, 
That's bad news, Pastor. The prophet says, even if no, none of the flocks in the, in the pasture should give even a single little lamb. What, what is he saying? Yet I will rejoice in God as my salvation, and I will exalt in the Lord. What is he saying? He's saying my joy doesn't come from a bonus. It doesn't come from a paycheck. It doesn't come from a fruitful land. It comes from the almighty hand of God. Come on, somebody. God is able to make even a dry field produce for you. He is able to take even those, those lost and, uh, and uh, failed seasons of your life and make them fruitful again. And so he says, yet I will rejoice. I will exalt in God as my salvation. Friends, you've got to de decide that your joy doesn't come from what you have, but it comes from who you know. You know the almighty God, the creator of the heavens and the earth. And though this earth should shake, he will not be shaken. And though this earth should fail, he will not fail. Come on, somebody, give him praise in the house of God this morning. He is the source of our joy. I've seen how people dress up for their favorite football team. There's excitement. There's laughter. There's joy when they arrive at the game. And then I've seen them leave sad when their team has lost. And especially if it's an important game or a championship. But friends, when you are walking with God, you must understand, you are walking with the winning team. God has never lost a battle. He's never known an obstacle he couldn't face. He's never known a river he couldn't cross. He's never known a mountain he couldn't flatten or a valley that he couldn't raise up. You are on the winning team. Rejoice and give thanks to the Lord for he is good and his mercy endures forever. And you can say with the psalmist, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Why? Because goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Come on, rejoice in the Lord. Make a shout of praise and thanksgiving in the house of God this morning. Now listen to what he says. This is the key to all of it. He said, the Lord is my strength. Say that with me this morning. The Lord is my strength. We sang about it this morning. The joy of the Lord is my strength. That worship service was so good, we could have started all over. He says, the Lord is my strength. Say it again. And listen to what he says. He said, he has made my feet like hinds feet. And he makes me walk on my high places. The word hind, we don't use too much now, but it refers to a deer or a mountain goat. If you've ever had the opportunity to go to the mountains and see a, uh, a mountain goat or a deer climbing up to the high rocks, a place of safety, sometimes on a, on a ledge no wider than an inch, precarious, dangerous, difficult, but he knows he has to climb, or that, that goat knows that she has to climb in order to protect her young. Rebecca and I were traveling through Colorado once. We, we were right on the very edge of a cliff, and there's a, a goat.
goat standing right there on the, on the edge of the cliff like this is usual business. Here's what, this, here's what the prophet says. He says, God gives me grace to keep climbing. When you're down at the bottom, everything is easy and the, the way is, is kind of wide and there's no, there's no uh, hindrances. But as you go higher, it gets narrower. And the rocks get sharper and steeper. He said, but God gives me the power, the strength to keep climbing. You see, church, you and I, we have a choice. We can go down or we can go up. Just look at how the mind works. You have a pain in your body all of a sudden. Oh, what is that? Start thinking about it. You get negative about it. Before you know it, you're already thinking about being in the hospital. And then before you know that, you just keep going down, 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 down. And you're thinking, you know, what kind of flowers do I want on my casket? <laughs> Tell your neighbor, stop it. You're laughing because you've been there. I did one of those diagnoses on the Internet once. You put in all your symptoms. I was having a lot of symptoms. It took a while. And then it started flashing red. It said, call an ambulance. I just closed the screen. Forget that. If you want to go down, you can go down real quick. You can go down with your marriage or we're going to end up in divorce. We're not going to make it. You're going to, you can go down with your children. These kids are never going to learn. They're never going to honor. They're never going to respect. Or you can decide to go up. The Bible said that the mindset on the flesh is death, but the mindset on the spirit is life and peace in the Holy Ghost. You can decide this morning, I'm going to climb. And what does his prophet say? He said, the Lord has given me the strength to keep climbing. There were days when I was hanging, dangling by a thread, but he gave me the strength to keep climbing, to keep going up, to be, keep going onward. Come on, somebody. He's given you strength like hinds feet to rise up upon the heights. To face the, the challenges and adversities of life. If you'll just keep climbing sooner or later, you'll be above them. And here's what happens when you climb. The problems get small. The higher you go, the smaller things look. When you go down, God starts to look small. But when you go up, God becomes big. He becomes mighty in your life, and your problems begin to, to shrink before your eyes. The psalmist says in Psalm 40, here's the secret. He says, I will praise the Lord. I will praise the name of God with a song. I will magnify him with thanksgiving. When you start thanking God, you start magnifying God, you start climbing. And the higher you climb, the more you magnify God, the bigger he gets in your faith and in your uh, imagination and in your life and in your heart, the smaller those problems begin uh, to look because you have come to a place to see the way God sees and to know the way God knows. Here's what God says. He says, if I was hungry, I wouldn't ask you. If I was if I was in need of knowledge, I wouldn't ask you for information. Why? He says, because my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. 
This morning you need to climb. And I'm glad it's Thanksgiving service so that we can begin to magnify God with our gratitude and with thanksgiving. Because when you start to thank him for what he's already done, faith starts to build up for what he's going to do next in your life. Come on, somebody. Will you magnify the Lord? Will you magnify the Lord? The psalmist said, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Come on, somebody magnify the Lord. Magnify him with your words. Bless him and praise his holy name. Come on, the sermon is over, but it's time for you to get to work. It's time for you to start climbing, to start going up. How do I do that, Pastor? Just start thanking God. Just start worshiping him. Magnify the Lord. Glorify his holy name. Exalt him. Boast in the Lord. Hallelujah. Come on, I want to hear the voice of the church this morning. All over this room, there ought to be a mouth full of praise and worship to the living God. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. For it is the Lord that pardons our transgressions. It is the Lord who heals all of our diseases. Bless the Lord and bless his holy name. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Glory to the name of Jesus. Yes, Lord. Blessed be your holy name forever.